Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the January 24th edition of Macro Minutes, entitled Emerging Divergence. Recent months have seen widespread hikes across most G10 central banks, but the potential for divergence is high in the coming months as some central banks are approaching the end of their hiking cycle. While the possibility of a 50 basis point hike from the Fed next week remains, market pricing and some Fed speakers have outlined a preference for more normal 25 basis increments following moderation in recent inflation reports. Indeed, this quarter may well be the last for any hikes from the U.S. Central Bank. To provide some insights on the global central bank landscape and beyond, we have a full lineup of RBC experts. Peter will kick off with his views on the ECB and BOE meetings next week, and Adam will provide the latest from FX Space, focusing on the BOJ in the short term and long term. I will discuss the Bank of Canada meeting on the 25th, which we think will be a final 25 basis point hike, and Amy will discuss the equity options market. Finally, Sulin and Rob will share their views on Australian CPI and the next RBA meeting. Over to you, Peter. Thank you, Simon. I will, as you suggested, I will present a little bit of our views on the ECB and the Bank of England. But before I do that, um, what I'd like to do is just very briefly revisit sort of the investing climate um, that we had over the last couple of weeks here in Europe. The European markets have performed um, quite well, actually, on all fronts. The fixed income market has performed both in rates and credit. Um, the equity market has performed up until recently um, quite well and has outperformed, um, particularly the North American counterparts. And I think the main reason for that, as we discussed last time round, was that on the one hand, we had falling inflation, actual falling inflation numbers, uh, but also the forward-looking indicators. So break-evens have been falling quite sharply, basically as a response of the falling commodity prices, energy prices in particular. And the second thing was that the activity data and the forward-looking data for activity um, have held up reasonably well. And just today, we had European PMIs, which were generally better than expected, safe in the UK. So that was a relatively, um, a relatively good climate for pretty much all asset classes. And that has worked up until about a couple of days ago um, when we started to get quite hawkish central bank speak, particularly out of the ECB. And I think that's sort of the backdrop um, against which we're going into these meetings. So what to expect? If I start with the ECB, now the ECB is still at a relatively moderate absolute interest rate level, and they have made it very clear that they want to continue their rate hiking, um, their rate hiking cycle. The market is expecting a 50 basis point increase, and that is most likely the outcome. That's what we are forecasting as well. The question rather is, what are they going to do afterwards? And this is, I think, where the battle lines will be drawn. We had a um, sources article or an, an article quoting unnamed ECB sources earlier last week suggesting that they would then consider a step down to 25 basis points. And that was followed by, by basically a barricade of hawks that came out of the woodwork and were arguing against it. So there seems to be the battle that will be fought. We do think that the, um, after the 50 basis points in February, they will step down to 25 in March and then in, April, in, in May again. Um, and we'll end up at 3%. That's slightly below where the market is currently pricing it, somewhere between 325 and 350. But the key for us going forward is that um, the terminal rate that's currently priced is unlikely going to be pushed much higher. 
So we just send a note out where we argue that going into the meetings, because of the hawkish speech, one should probably take a little bit of a step back. But by and large, we think that the investing climate that I outlined earlier will probably prevail over the more medium term. Now, for the Bank of England, the situation is slightly different, but only slightly. Because also here, the debate is whether they're going to do a 50 or 25 basis point step. And the market is also firmly in the camp of 50, um, although we think there's a very decent chance that they will do 25 instead. But given that they're further advanced in their cycle and that the data has been at least up to recently a little bit more mixed, the question is also what are they going to do thereafter um, and whether or not the rate hiking process is going to end much faster um, than it would be, for instance, for the ECB. So our view is that we'll get another 25 basis point step and that this is then probably the end. But there is, and there is a chance that they're going to go a little bit further than that. Last time round, we had a three-way split um, between two voters who didn't want to change at all, some that voted, one that voted for 75, and then the majority voted for 50. And we think it's also going to be interesting whether there's going to be a two-way or three-way split again, which seems very likely. And with that, I'll probably leave it. But the key is really what's not, not necessarily what's going to happen at the, directly at the next meeting, but what's the guidance thereafter. And back to you, Simon. Thanks for those insights, Peter. And now we'll shift to Adam on the BOJ. Thanks, Simon. Um, so arguably one of the greatest divergences over the last month has been the um, divergence in expectations for the BOJ, just as other central banks are reaching close to the peak of their cycles. Um, markets are moving to try to discount uh, the normalization of policy in Japan after 20-plus years of ultra-easy policy. So um, the BOJ slackened its yield curve control at the December meeting. There was a rapid build-up in expectations that there was more to come, uh, only for the BOJ to do nothing at the January meeting. So the question is, where do we go from here and what does it mean for the currency from our perspective and um, I think our expectation is that in the near term is there is potentially a lot of noise so the March meeting will be current governor Kuroda's last and given that the BOJ as well as leaving policy unchanged it left its forecast showing inflation below target uh, for the next two and a half years um, really, from my perspective, that uh, makes it very unlikely they'll change policy at the March meeting. And all eyes now are on the April meeting under the new governor. There are at least three possible candidates for uh, the governor, all of which are still live. Current guidance is that we should, uh, around mid-February, uh, know who uh, the government is proposing as governor and two deputy governors. Um, if it turns out to be one of the more hawkish candidates, then it is highly likely, I think, that we will get another build-up of short JGB, short dollar-yen positions that push um, big moves in, in both fixed income in Japan and in the currency. Equally, if it's one of the more um, continuity candidates, Amamiya in particular is, um, is uh, probably fits into that mould. Uh, then the reaction will likely be more mild and um, the markets will, uh, uh, will be calmer. Um, however, the key point I think I would make in this context is most of the transmission mechanism for this expectation for BOJ policy 
and what the change in the governorship implies for that, is coming about as a result of positioning outside Japan. It's outside Japan where the um, JGB shorts built up. It's big moves in positioning in dollar yen that have moved the currency. From the perspective of Japanese investors, the likely shifts in BOJ policy are actually quite mild compared to the paradigm shift that's been driven by the Fed and the ECB. So my expectation is we get a lot of noise over the next couple of months as we build in the expectation of the changing governor and potentially build in another expectation for um, slackening of yield curve control or even abandoning yield curve control. But once we get through that noise, the flow that really matters is the real money flow from within Japan. And what yen-based investors are um, still adapting to is not uh, a potentially 10 basis point move in Japanese policy rates or 15 basis point move in JGB yields that have happened, but it's the rise in the cost of hedging their huge stock of foreign assets. So the cost of hedging the dollar asset started last year at about 50 basis points. It's now over 500 basis points. Recently, six months ago, yen-based investors were getting paid to hedge their euro assets. They now have to pay almost 300 basis points. And it's that shift in the cost of the hedging that is really the revolution in investment arithmetic that yen-based investors are facing, not the relatively small moves in front-end or longer-dated yields in Japan. So my expectation is when we get through all the noise over the next two or three months and settle down to um, the expected policy changes within Japan, we go back to the main real money driver of flow from within Japan as the principal driver. And the trend of yen weakness that dominated last year um, begins to reassert itself when that flow from outside Japan settles down. So potentially a noisy two or three months as we build in the expectations for the change in leadership and what that implies for policy. Longer term, um, we think that the trend of yen weakness that was with us for most of last year will reassert itself. And with that, I'll, uh, I'll pass back to Simon. Great. Thank you very much, Adam. Um, shifting to Canada now, uh, we think this week's BOC meeting will see the final hike of the cycle with a 25 basis point move to 450. BOC messaging in December was that going forward, they would be looking at whether they would hike again rather than how much they would hike by. However, they also presented a relatively high bar to a pause in noting that while there were risks to over-tightening and under-tightening, the latter was the bigger risk given how high inflation remained. Supporting our 25 basis point call and consensus in market pricing is that data in the intermediate period has been close to neutral. We have seen some slowing on the activity side, especially forward-looking activity in the business outlook survey, but underlying inflation is uncomfortably high and inflation expectations remain lofty over the next few years. The labor market remains very tight. Moderation in three-month annualized inflation for the core measures has stalled somewhat in recent months after strong progress into October. This is not an environment where data has softened enough to warrant a pause, given their communication, nor has it been strong enough to continue at a 50 basis point clip. We give a 70% probability for this 25 basis point move. A support for a 50 basis point move, we put about 20% probability on this, so we're leaning more on the hawkish side, whereas market pricing is giving more probability towards no change. 
But support for a 50 basis point move really comes from the still elevated level of inflation, high inflation expectations over the coming years, and, and the tight labor market. And really that tight labor market um, leaves a lingering risk of a wage price spiral. Definitely not a base case scenario, but while that risk remains, um, that is something the bank needs to be aware of and, and has highlighted. The main argument for a pause, so we put this at a lowest probability for us at about 10%, is that forward-looking activity indicators in the business outlook survey softened, and given the lag to monetary policy transmission, they may think that they have done enough to bring inflation down to 2%. So the movement lower in the underlying inflation from the core measures is certainly something they like to see, but those three-month annualized measures remain in the kind of 3 to 4% plus range, so even those short-term measures are not showing uh, inflation down to 2%. In terms of market views, we continue to see the 2023 cut pricing by the market, which is around 50 basis points of cuts by year-end, as premature. And expect the bank to keep policy unchanged throughout the year due to underlying inflation remaining above 3% or around 3% or more. We therefore see some scope for the front end selling off, though we are neutral to bullish on term yields, uh, currently a bit under 3% um, for 5s through 30s. And our year-end target for 10s is 270. So definitely something to watch tomorrow. Uh, and we'll be, uh, again, our view is that it's a 25 basis point move, but also to note in terms of the messaging from the bank, we don't think that they're going to give a hard pause language. We do expect that their language will be similar to December, uh, where they'll be looking at whether to hike again, and certainly leaving the market with a clear view that they are open to a pause. But we do think data will will result in them actually pausing at the March meeting. And with that, I'll shift over to Amy for discussing the Canadian options market. Amy? Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. So one quick plug. We did host the call that Simon was part of as well yesterday called Volatility in the Market Outlook for Canadian Housing. Uh, it was quite in-depth uh, alongside our Canadian diversified financials research analyst as well as our financial services research analyst. Uh, there's a full replay of that, so I'm certainly not going to dive into the full details, but please take a look at that for that replay. Just before we discuss that specifically, I want to provide some context. Um, if you look to 2022, what happened in the volatility markets was quite a big surprise for a lot of investors. So we had the S&P draw down 20%. But actually, the strategy in the option side that did worse was actually being long the S&P plus owning puts. That was actually drawn down 21%. You know, it's a big question coming into this year is what happened? How did we get kind of a hedging market that underperformed when there was such a drawdown? Uh, there are a lot of details technically, and so why that was the case, that's in our volatility outlook. But needless to say, there was a bit of boy who cried wolf in the market. And so the way clients came positioned into 2023 was quite the opposite of the beginning of 2022. Investors came into this market underinvested, underhedged, and far more focused on up crash. We saw far more call buying and focus on the right tail of events. Now, so far, that's actually been the right strategy. We've seen the S&P up roughly 5%, and we've seen strongholds in the higher correlation names like Megacap Tech hold in fairly well. But this really has been the opposite of what expectations were set into 2022. So if you looked across Wall Street at what different strategists said, they essentially almost all expected a bearish to limited upside first half and a rally in 2H. 
but we didn't actually see that in positioning. We always saw that focus on upcrash. Now, one thing I would point out is that this is beginning to shift, not in S&P, but elsewhere. So within S&P specifically, your skew so that demand for downside protection still remains historically low on almost every metric. So on a one standard deviation drawdown, it's fifth percentile over five years, and it's three standard deviation drawdown is in its sixth percentile over five years. And even though you're seeing a continued floor to VIX, it's still quite inexpensive relative to other VIX proxy uh, metrics on a cross-asset basis, such as the MOVE index, which tracks treasuries, or the CVIX index, which tracks the FX market. But as I mentioned, we're starting to see clients focused on downside in other markets, and, and that's how we get back to Canadian housing. This was actually a call that originated because of the activity that we saw in the market. So a lot of options buying, particularly in the put side in XIU, as well as EWC. So three trades that came out of the conversation yesterday was really a way to play leverage downside exposure for the Canadian housing market, as well as companies that would also be related to that. So specifically, short-term, we like looking at March in XIU, in DOC, which are larger ETF proxies, but also VEB as a financial services proxy. Uh, for more details, feel free to reach out to me. I won't go through the complete structure on the trade. The other area I would focus on is the options market was quite early in focusing on upside in China. So even towards the middle half of last year, we already saw uh, investors buying calls in FXI, ASHR, KWEB, as well as the larger cap Chinese single stock names. We're now seeing that reverse, which is interesting as Asia just headed into the Lunar New Year. But most of the flow has shifted from FXI and EEM, which is a correlated proxy to the downside. So does that mean that we're starting to see this trade being over? I don't know, but you're starting to see that activity in the market shift far more defensively than you otherwise have. And then I'll just end on this. A big technical point that we discussed in the Volatility 2023 Outlook is what happens with tech is really what is going to happen with the S&P this year because at the end of the day, mega cap tech still makes up nearly half of the queues and substantially more of smaller ETFs like XLY um, or XLC and still about a quarter of S&P. So right now tech is held up, but if that shrinkage starts to happen, it could act as a volatility dampener in S&P where other companies that take over the weights are more diversified, but it won't act as a dampener in tech-specific ETFs where by definition the weightings re-weight back into tech. So you'll likely start to see a volatility spread between tech-related ETFs and the S&P in general. And that's another pocket where we think we could start to see leverage downside. And I will end it there. Thank you. Now over to Sulin to discuss the RBA. There are two key events in Australia in the next couple of weeks that should lend support to our view that the RBA is close to the end of this hiking cycle and our bias towards lower yields in 2023. So first up is the latest inflation data and that's released on Wednesday the 25th of January. We expect the numbers to confirm a peak in annual inflation in Q4, similar to the global trend, with headline around 7.5%, and the two key core measures averaging about 58 not far from 6%. 
Australian wages in the labour market are lagging a little and we've got very resilient domestic demand. So service sector inflation is likely to have lifted further in the fourth quarter of last year. The data should confirm a multi-decade high in inflation, but the odds are it'll be lower than the RBA's most recent set of forecasts, which had headline inflation at 8% at the end of 22. So the RBA may well revise down its inflation forecasts uh, lower at its quarterly statement on monetary policy on the 10th of February. Inflation, though, is going to be pretty high, elevated, well above target, and coupled with a tight labour market, we still think it's consistent with further modest tightening, but it's clear we're approaching the end of this hiking cycle. We've had 300 basis points of rapid tightening since May of last year, and at 3.1%, cash sits in slightly restrictive territory. So the second key event then is the RBA's first board meeting of the year on the 7th of February. We are looking for a 25 point hike, uh, taking cash to 335, but the risk is the statement errs dovish. A debate we think is starting to emerge towards a pause and or a, a flat or 25 point move at that March meeting. A final 25 point hike in March remains our base case for terminal cash at 3.6%, but we have emphasised the risk of a pause or more drawn out cycle given a similar narrative in the global central banking cycle, a peak in, likely peak in Australian inflation and the lagged impacts of cumulative uh, tightening thus far. Finally, Rob will finish up with Australian market views. From the market side, the way we'd like to position depends heavily on time frame. Over the course of 2023, in line with our macro views, we think yields will trend somewhat lower. Over a more tactical time horizon, though, given RBA terminal pricing has fallen from almost 4% a month ago to just 3.55 or so today, we'd probably prefer to be short. The market's only got 18 basis points priced in for Feb, unless again for March, versus our expectation the bank hikes 25 basis points at both meetings. But then, at an even more micro time frame level, heading into tomorrow's CPI, we think the risk is a lower print, especially on the core side, so we're aware of getting short too early ahead of that. Marrying all those views up, we'd thus prefer to be long or neutral into CPI, and then use a softer print to enter tactical front-end shorts. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you again in two weeks. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.